The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand up comedy? You want stand up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit down comedy. It's time for Coffee with a Dog. You make me laugh. I would love to be able to listen to that grumble, you grumble, grumble. I'd love to be able to make you laugh today. I do think we have a good show for you. I think we have a good show. How often do you hear me say that? I think we have a good show for you today. I think we have a good show for you today. I think we have a good show for you today. You guys rock out a little too hard. Oh, yeah. Good morning, folks. It is, uh, what the hell day is it? It's Tuesday, right? <laughs> it's Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. Uh, good day to be alive. It's very spring-like here. Hope it's a beautiful day wherever you are. We do have an interesting show for you today. Uh, in the 10 o'clock hour, which is next hour, not this hour, uh, Lori S., I think it's Lori Sparks, uh, comedian out of Arizona, RN grandma. Uh, should be an interesting conversation with her. You know, Arizona doesn't get enough credit for being a very... Uh, fertile uh, landscape in the area of comedy. Lots of comedy going on in Arizona. Phoenix seems to be... I can't tell you, I probably had more comedians from Arizona on, not counting, you know, Stanhope, because he's not from Arizona. He's from Boston. He lives in Arizona. But more comedians uh, from Arizona on than any other state, I think. I don't know. We haven't tallied that up. Anyway, in this hour, expecting dastardly Dave. Dave uh, wants to talk about the writer's strike in Hollywood and the way, um, uh, oh, man, every time I start a show, people start texting me right away. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, where was I now? See, lost my chain of thought. Oh, Dave wants to talk about the Hollywood, uh, what's going on in Hollywood, writer's strike and all that stuff. Interesting enough, Dave has worked in Hollywood. Dave is, is a young man who's retired, and I haven't gotten him to divulge his uh, source of income. <laughs> but 
I must have made a, a lot of money in uh, Hollywood um, behind the scenes as a mechanic. We'll talk to Dave about what he he thinks about what's going on in Hollywood. Now, again, Dave has had some pretty strong opinions about unions. So it, it's an interesting, uh, it will be interesting to get his take on uh, what's really going on there. But most people think it's just about money. If you're not paying attention, and it is for the most part about money, of course, strikes are always about pay, but it's also about other things like protections from writers are, are worried that studios are going to start to use AI to replace them. This happens in, in the arts whenever new technology comes along. It scares the shit out of people. The panic, you know, it's chicken little runner. The sky is falling. Um, and then it doesn't happen. Technology has not replaced people yet in any of the places where I've seen it forecast. And I tell you, well, you want to go down where I've seen it forecast over many decades in somewhere around the mid 70s <clears throat> DJs were going to replace live music altogether did that ever happen no it did not happen and later on in the late 70s drum machines were going to replace drummers did that ever happen no that did not ever happen did you know, drummers include drum machines and sampling stuff in their repertoire, and drummers began programming some of the drum machines, but never replaced drummers. We have a lot of drummers <laughs> still left, and they are uh, prospering. Good ones are prospering, and there's, there's lots of drums. So drum machines did not do away with um, drummers, and then sequencers and computers and, and synthesizers were going to do away with other musicians did not happen. And then more recently, robotic cameras were going to do away with the need for cameramen. Did not happen. In the arts, we tend to see technology as a threat. Then we learn to use it. We learn to adapt with it. So AI, while it may be used as a tool for writing, I don't think it will ever replace human writers. That's my take on it. Okay, good night. That's it. That's the show for you. Uh, I'm shot. I'm shot. I didn't sleep well. Um, you know what? These edibles keep me up at night. And uh, I took them fairly early because I had work to do. But uh, up all night and then finally started uh, to doze off around 5 a.m. That was the last time I looked at a clock, 5 a.m. And then woke up in terror. I don't know where from, from a dream. Somewhere around 5.30, I just screamed out, help! <laughs> My wife said I screamed help. I don't know. I, I But I the fear, of, uh, the feeling of uh, being terrorized, night terrors, first time that's happened to me in a long time. I mean, I've had occasions in my life where I've woken up startled like that, but it's a tough one. And uh, so I did have a lot on my mind. Obviously, that kept me up, but now I can't remember what the frig it was because 
uh, I didn't get enough sleep. And I noticed it affects my body in a big way. As much as it affects my mental state, it actually hurts to lift your arms when you're that tired. When you haven't slept at all, everything in your body is just a little lethargic. So I will snap out of it. I have plenty to do today. I have to get back to the, the co-hosts, the people who have uh, expressed opinion in co-hosting or, or uh, interest in uh, co-hosting. I have to get back to them today. Lots of phone calls to make with that stuff. On the contributors end, we have people producing already. We uh, may have uh, spots to air as early as next week. I have, uh, I think, four different people working on stuff already. Uh, About five or six others who have expressed interest in uh, brainstorming uh, to see what they can come up with. So on the contributor end, that's looking good. Today, we will, I will follow up with uh, some of the people who have expressed interest in uh, being a co-host. You know, with enough contributors, <clears throat> it's not that imperative uh, that the co-host be like something that I move fast on. So I might have, might have bought myself a lot more time to make sure I get it right. Uh, I, I think that some of the prospects are looking pretty good on that too. So, uh, it is what it is. We'll take it. We'll take it one step at a time. Been thinking about that. Uh, Rome wasn't built in a day thing. Now maybe Rome actually was built in a day. Nobody was there. It could have been. You know, they had lots of slave labor. It could have been built in a day. Uh, just when I put stuff out there about what I'm doing, often. It puts pressure on myself because everybody expects me to deliver the results like pronto. <laughs> and I've, if I've learned anything in my life, because I used to be, and I noticed this the other night, I was working on a, um, a reel and I left it unfinished. And that's not like me. Generally, all my life, if I was working on a project, I need to get that finished and published by the end of the night. Or I'm not, I'm not going to bed till this thing is done. That would be my attitude. But I, yeah, I put it aside. I'll work on it some more tomorrow. That's not like, and it'll probably be better because I don't rush to publish something. You know, and there's no, there's very rarely been a boot on my neck to say. Uh, you have a uh, deadline published date you got to meet. I put the pressure on myself a lot of times. But last night, uh, two really hysterical, funny clips I think you should watch. And I don't uh, have them here. But Joe List uh, did a half inning of uh, play-by-play at an Arizona uh, game. <laughs> and it, it was uh, pure gold, pure gold. I published, uh, I shared it on my timeline on Twitter, on my feed on Twitter. Um, I'll probably find the, uh, the link and put it in the description uh, when the show is done today. But if you have my Twitter, go there, look for the Joe List, or just go to YouTube and look for Joe List's channel. It will probably be the first video up, him calling play-by-play from his phone 
pay attention to all the, the nuance. Uh, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but oh my God, funny. Now, um, the other one, uh, clip Becky shared, it was a Richard Jenny clip about politics. Richard Jenny, if you don't know Richard Jenny and you're in comedy, shame on you. Um, and even if you're not in comedy and, and you're of a certain age, over 35, I say, and you don't know Richard Jenny, shame on you. Uh, one of the best. One of the best ever. Uh, no, that gets <clears throat> that gets thrown around a lot. One of the best ever. One of the greatest comedians ever. But he truly was and not recognized enough by enough people. He died young, very young. I think probably, uh, I would say in his mid-40s. And I believe it was suicide. I'm not I'm not certain of that. But uh, he dealt with a depression a lot. Um, and uh, he, I believe he had just gotten, he got a sitcom that didn't make it. And I don't know, you know, God, if you, you think if that was the reason somebody off themselves, that's a terrible reason. I mean, the guy was still one of the most uh, successful at the time comedians working. Uh, he, he definitely wasn't. It wasn't like he, his life was over because a, sit, a sitcom didn't make it. But and I, who knows what the real what the reason he did it was. Um but so the clip is uh i think it's called hypocrites politics and hypocrites that's on my twitter uh to becky shared that with me last night and then i retweeted it if you have um uh, if i'm on your twitter or follow each other on twitter or you follow me on twitter or whatever uh go there find a richard jenny clip don't both of those clips last last night uh good study for any uh comedian to the one I see Dave's in the back there. I'm going to bring him in one second. One uh, a last thing on Twitter I want to point out this morning. Supercom. Supercom is trending. It's about, I'm not sure if it's a Russian missile or a Ukrainian missile. Where was Supercom? Like, like they all of a sudden they're hiding it on me. Like, oh, you don't let him see that Supercom stuff. Hold on, <laughs> Supercom, Supercom, da 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 da. Um, my favorite band, Supercom. No, that's not it. Uh, rumor has it U.S. Army and NATO major Johnny Sins was killed in a Supercom drone strike. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, Twitter loves a good joke. Everybody making up Supercom trending. Why the fuck is Supercom trending? Uh, Zelensky, Supercom classic, come in the name of this. Ah, oh, boy. What's the real deal here, though? They showed, like, I, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a, I couldn't show you that anyway. Um, oh, here it is. It, Russian uh, defense forces. Uh, they have they're listing their missile types, and they have three Oprah supercoms. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought that's funny. I guess, I guess it's a tough room. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, I'm going to bring David in just one second. I just want to um, tell you a little bit about mood. Can I tell you a little bit about mood? Uh, let me let me tell you a little bit about mood. What do I want to tell you about mood? Here, we'll go with this, right? Yeah, we'll go with that. And then uh, we'll tell you about some mood. Do you know about mood? This is a slow thing about mood. Mo mood is 100% legal THC that you can get delivered right to your door. You don't even have to go to dispensary anymore. Life just got really simple for you, didn't it? Hello Mood, the online dispensary uh, that focuses on offering customers nothing but the highest quality product. Uh, Mood's products are produced on small farms and sold at affordable prices so you can afford to have uh, the best Delta 8 flour, roll-ups, concentrates, edibles, uh, vapes, you name it, uh, delivered to your doorstep by the best online dispensary. Every flower you buy from Hello Mood is tested by a third-party DEA registered lab and comes with a certificate of analysis. Hey, man, they analysis weed, man. I think they analysis is this. Anyway, uh, Hello Mood features Delta ATHC products flavored to set your mood. That's right, they can set your mood. I, I want to feel, uh, you, here's some of the moods you can get here. Uh, body soother. I think I need that after last night. After not sleeping and waking up in the night terror, I need some uh, body soother. Well, you can get a chill mood, which I might need this evening, but I don't need this morning. Or a creative mood, which I always need. Or an energized mood. Or an erotic mood, which I like to get when I'm alone with Dave talking about Hollywood and writers and that kind of stuff. Or a euphoric mood. Or a focus mood, which I uh, I could use more of. Or evening relaxation mood, you know, that are you know, Who's not relaxed in the evening, right? Or social mood, you might want to just, like, hang out, talk to people, get all socially, like that stuff. <laughs> or personal mood, you can get all kinds of stuff, too. Gummies, and all the candy, and Afghan hash, and... You know, I haven't smoked hash in the, since I watched the last Chang movie in the theater. That's how long. Anyway, Hello Mood. Uh, get your mood now. Go to hellomood.co. Hellomood.co. And here's what you need to do. Use a coupon code. I'm dog. That's just M-I-N-D-O-G. On your first purchase. And uh, if you spend over $100. You get $40 off. To spend exactly $101, you get $40 off your first purchase using that coupon code. Mind dog. Uh, check it out. Get the right food for you. Okay? Yeah. Oh, Dave is here. Uh, can I shut that music off, please? Thank you. Damn. Dave is here, and he wants us to talk about Hollywood. He wants to educate us all on what what Hollywood really is all about it's not all about movies it's, it's really it's a it's a pedophile ring uh, or something i don't know what they let dave tell it dave knows better than me good morning dave hey what's up matt miss you bro sorry no suit and tie today and i'm not clean cut i'm, I'm trying to get into the shaggy mood yeah again. your hair's longer than yeah. it's ever been uh <laughs> yeah well, i almost comb my hair but uh yeah i 
That's like a bastardization of a Crosby, Stills, and Nash song. They almost cut my hair, but almost combed my hair is a, is a, <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, so uh, you wanted to talk about Hollywood. And is it's a writer's strike in particular or other stuff that's going on in Hollywood that you – that has you? It's everything. Every, if you're not a star, what they call they, – in Hollywood, if, if you're the talent, that's the people you see on camera. The talent, they get their asses kissed. And it's just stupid. It, it, they just, I don't know. It's like they're royalty. And it's just unbelievable. And everybody behind the scenes, I mean, it rolls downhill. The director in Hollywood, the directors are gods. They control everything to the point where they don't even have to do their job. They could do an acting director. If you look, I like to watch credits uh, now just to see who the craft service was for the. That was the best thing about working in Hollywood was we got free lunch every day. And if we worked over 12 hours, we got two free meals. <laughs> yeah, but you, you retired very young, right? You're, you don't work. You're, you're a retired person at 42 or whatever you are, right? Yeah, yeah. I haven't uh, – Yeah, well, I quit that Netflix show back in 2021 halfway through a season. Because I just couldn't take it anymore. It was just so the abuse and, and whatnot. What do you mean? Now, because it seemed like to be able to retire at your at that young age, you had to have probably been compensated very well. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Like when I was working the, that that season three of that show, some days I was making two thousand dollars a day, and I live very frugally. I drink right. natty. I drink cheap beer. And my my biggest uh, expense is Marlboro Lights. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I just. I always, when I made good money, I mean, I, I, I gave some out, but also I always saved. I would, for years, I've been saving money. I mean, hell. And was that, were you part of a union when you were doing that? No, no. I was working non-union out there in, in, in uh, California. But at the time, it was the COVID. COVID actually helped me out because they were so desperate. They couldn't get anybody to work. People were quitting the show. So they were just so desperate. They were throwing money. They were like, we got to get the show going. And they they hired me and they gave me union wages or union scale. And I wasn't union, so I wasn't paying the union dues. I could only imagine how much union dues would be out there because when I was working union here in, in, in Cincinnati, they were taking, it was like $10 an hour, and I was only making like $30, $32 an hour. It was like $10 was going straight to the union and all that crap. I do, I, you have to pay to be in a union, and then if you don't pay the union dues, then you have to. They they could call up the union will call up and they get you fired. You you're not allowed to work. So I was luckily I was working non-union but getting union scale when I was working out there for that TV show. So the, the, was, the, essentially, you were scabbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I was a scab. I was a scab. You know, it, it was very profitable, man. Like sometimes the two thousand dollars a day. Yeah, well, I, I'm not. There's no judgment here. Believe me. You know what? I probably would take that too. I mean, it's uh, that's a whole other uh, discussion about you know what you know. But you got to look out for yourself. Those people are looking out for themselves. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to start that whole war. But uh, yeah. Now, with the writers uh, specifically, because if you were you're making good money as a mechanic, because uh, here's the thing: the writers are claiming that a lot of the people who are writing 
the hit shows, and I don't know anything about I'm so fucking culturally unhip, I don't know anything about this stuff. But they're saying that writers who uh, write the hip, uh, the, the hottest shows can't afford to pay rent on what they get paid. I find that hard to believe. If the mechanics can <laughs> can retire at 40 or whatever, uh, how, how could it be true that the writers, the writers have to be getting paid more than mechanics, yes or no? I have no clue. I, I was in a unique situation. I had a friend of mine who was working on a show. He, I rented a room from him. I was sleeping on a futon out there. And I, well, last time I was out there, I paid $4,500 for three months to sleep on a futon that hurt my back. Wow. Yeah. I know the rent. Even, the oh, yeah. And, and I, was, I was generous with him just because he was also driving me to work. I didn't want to have to buy a car out there. Gas was expensive. I mean, hell, I'd buy a carton of cigarettes out in California. It was like $140 for a one carton of cigarettes. Whoa. That would, make, that would make me quit pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Well, that well the, the season three, when I went out for that show, we got paid good and compensated really well. And... Uh, but then season four, when I went back for the second se- or season four, they cut our pay and they were they were trying to do day pay. They were trying to do the non-union way they do day pay where they, they just give you if we went from thirty six dollars an hour and they wanted us to work, be there 12 hours and then it would drop us down to like twenty two dollars an hour. And it's like, oh, fuck no. Like we walk, we drive by McDonald's and they're offering 20 bucks an hour. And it's like, and why the backwards. Heck? That's backwards yeah. because generally the more hours you work overtime, you get time and a half or double time or whatever. It, it's backwards of the way. The more hours you work, the more you're supposed to get paid, not the less. That doesn't. Oh matter. no, that's the thing though is we were knocking stuff out, but they wouldn't. What they were doing, they were messing with us. As far as we would, we would go in and we're like, "What do we have to get done today?" And they're like, "You're not getting overtime or double time this this season." And we're like, "Okay, well, I." Thankfully, uh, I had been a union pipe fitter and I know work, uh, the, the workers' laws and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, legally, you can't make us work over eight hours if you don't pay us overtime. Like, we are getting day pay. And in Hollywood, day pay is you could show up for five minutes. It, it, they'll say, like, it's $260 a day. You could be here five minutes or you're going to be here 12 hours. Yeah, no, I, I, I get to do same. It's the same oh, here. Yeah, yeah. It was, what they were trying to do is like they would wait until right before eight hours was up, and then we're like, "Oh, we got to get all this done before tomorrow." And then I, I was standing up, and I actually caused a little bit of a backlash. It was I got into it with the producers, and oh, it was it was pissing me off because they were like, "Oh no, you got to do this. You're on day pay." And I'm like, "No, you can't legally make me work more than 8 hours if you don't pay overtime." I'm like, "What's this Hollywood? This is day pay. Day pay. You've got to stay 12 hours." And then I it just sucked because I was looking at uh, all these production assistants and stuff like that, PAs and all. And they are just everybody is so dying. I I even told the producers, I'm like, "Look, I don't have stars in my eyes. I have respect for myself. I am not putting up with this bullshit. You're not going <laughs> to screw me over. You're not going to mess with me." I'm like, "You called me. You had me fly out here to California and 
like I didn't ask for this job. You asked for me to come out and don't don't think just because you're this is a stupid TV show I don't even like and I think it's corny. I'm like, don't don't expect me to to bend over and take it. You know what I mean? So here's a here's a question. Uh last time you were on, I think it was last time or or, or recently, well we you had a bone about unions. Are you on the side of the writers union or are you side on the side of the Hollywood pricks? <laughs> no, I'm actually uh, well, it's like the Ukraine Russia war. It's like I want both sides to fail. <laughs> I want them both to lose the war. All right. I want no. Hollywood to collapse. Because it's just so many people want to fly out there. To, that, why do you think the porn industry flourishes in, in California? It's because so many people go out there with stars in their eyes. And then they realize, oh, I'm just another pretty face. And the, the porn industry is paying more and I can't stop. Like everybody thinks you're going to be an Angelina Jolie or a Brad Pitt or whatever. No, you go out there. <laughs> it's just desperation. It's pure desperation. Um. Hold on a second. I got to say something to this guy in the text. Yeah, everybody, stop texting me during the show. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, so uh, do you care about any of these TV shows? Do, do, do you watch these TV shows? Do you have any? I mean, I don't, I don't watch television at all. So, uh, and I think that's really what we're we're talking about here, right? Mainstream television and cable television shows. Yes. No, I don't really. I watch uh, like Netflix, whatever, uh, Amazon Prime, Tubi. I'm catching up on old movies. I was raised super religious, so I wasn't allowed to watch a whole bunch of stuff when I was a kid because everything was satanic. So I'm catching up on old movies. I'm watching like old spaghetti westerns and stuff like that. I'm just like catching up on all the stuff I wasn't allowed to watch as a kid. This new stuff, it's. It, it doesn't really interest me. It's I don't well. Know. The, that, the reason I ask about this is like, oh, first of all, I am really clueless. I, I mean, I, I know I've said this, and I sound like a broken record. I don't know what's popular. I don't know what the hit shows are. But when you say I want Hollywood to, you know, kind of whatever you said, fall apart, you know, whatever you said, um, I think it already has. Erica, when she was here, she talked about what is Hollywood? Today is Hollywood is some guy in his garage doing a podcast. And I think she was making fun of me at that time. But, (laughs) um, you know, how Albuquerque now is where Netflix is. And I think that's where a lot of the production is going on. But so many independent films. This morning I booked a guy for uh, Wednesday, May 31st, uh, Jared Cohn. Who has directed 50 films uh, a lot of you know people you would recognize and know in his films he's independent he's not hollywood so i think what you're talking about hollywood collapsing or whatever the fuck word you used um i think that's already started to happen even long before this writer strike no am i wrong well that was one of the crazy things is like when i was working on that show i was talking to the people that worked on the show the behind-the-scenes people, the producers and all that, they don't even watch TV or anything like that. They, they're all they're more interested in their own stuff than they are watching what other people make. So it's crazy. Like, when I was out there, I was like, I, I didn't even know the show that I got hired on. I got hired on it, and they bought me a plane ticket to fly out there two days' notice. I hadn't even seen the show. And then I watched it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this show is so hideous. But what I'm was like, the show? Uh, 
car masters rust to riches. I was a ghost mechanic. I, yeah, I was never on camera, but I got my name in the credits, though, as a mechanic. And that's one of the things. This was one of those stupid reality shows. Not and what real. channel was that on? It was Netflix. Oh, it was on Netflix? Oh, yeah. It, well, that was the thing, though. It was, it was crazy because when I stood up for myself and I quit, I just... I was at lunch one day and I smoked a cigarette and I apologized to the guys I work with. I'm like, Hey, uh, we're out smoking. And I'm like, Hey guys, uh, I'm quitting. When I finish a cigarette, I'm walking in and quitting. I walked in and apologized to everybody. I'm like, look, I just can't take this anymore because the abuse, I mean, they just, they treat you like crap. If you're not the talent, they just, just you're scum. And it, it, I started a domino effect after I quit three other people quit. Because they're like, holy crap, they, it was like he flew from Indiana out here to California to work, and then he just up and quit. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm not taking the abuse. I, it, this was uh, this was right uh, before the the whole thing where, uh, what was it, Alec Baldwin shot the, and killed the, the people. That was yeah. in New Mexico, right? Yeah. And that was yeah, that. But, yeah. but there were people who were protesting about the conditions on the set and how it just... It, there was a whole, there was like a, almost going to be a revolt about Netflix in the programming that they, they fund that, that the working conditions just aren't good. See, was that a major studio though? This is what I'm trying to figure out with, with all the stuff. It seems like, I don't know that it wasn't, I just, but I was under the impression that the Alec Baldwin thing was an independent film that was shooting on location in, uh, New Mexico. I I don't know if they were backed by a big studio or what, because that makes it well, different. If, well, uh, if it's a small well, company, you really can't. You got nobody to pick it against. <laughs> yeah. Well, here here's the thing though: is you have a uh, you have a major studio, and then they create a company for every production that they do, just yeah. in case there's a lawsuit, and that's a smaller one. Right. It's a smaller. Uh, production company so that if you look and it's, you'll see several uh, if you look at credits and stuff excuse me yeah it's, uh, LLC I, I, I get it Let me yeah. see. just in case it? just in case something happens somebody dies there's a lawsuit they have a smaller company that could just declare bankruptcy and then the bigger studio doesn't it's shielded because they're just like a sacrificial because like I work for two different production companies there was uh, what was it green green paradise pictures but then the bigger one was mac mac productions or something like yeah that. yeah there's always yeah on the credits yeah. you always see that it's you know it's a it's the film is owned by it's uh, four different studios uh, or, or you know or four different production companies uh, oh yeah every movie or every tv show there's a sacrificial production company just in case there's a lawsuit, they could just declare bankruptcy and they don't have to pay out. All right. it, it's just all legal, legal stuff. Now, um, I, I mentioned this uh, before you came on that this strike is not purely about money. Part of the, it is about fear on the part of the writers of AI and uh, the studios or whoever is in charge uh, implementing AI to replace the writers. First question, can a mechanic's uh, job be replaced by a robot? No. You no. don't think so? I, I think I think it can. On an assembly line, maybe, but not on a vehicle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I'm, not, I'm not building new cars. I was 
restoring old cars. But so I, need- I also think because the, the robotics I used to help market, they could adapt that. Uh, but, you know, depending on what you want to do, yeah, but they could adapt it to do anything, really. I mean, if it's just a matter of doing uh, mechanical move, you know, I think a ro- you can get a robot to do anything. You can program it to do anything. You, you can get a robot on an assembly line, and they do that. The, the automotive manufacturers have robots that assemble the cars. But when it comes to a car that has some mileage, mileage on it, rust and all that stuff, it, you don't know what you're getting into. That's why I, that hmm. is, I, I get so tired of uh, people that get into old cars and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I bought this car for $2,000. I'm going to get it fixed up for like $15,000. It's like, no, this is a $100,000 restoration because yeah. – it's just like uh, when I bought my old house. Uh, my house was built in like 1890. And, I, uh, I, I had one yeah. built in 1897. Yeah. And I, oh, yeah. I bought and, it for $110,000. It was worth a million by the time I, I left it to the girl I was living with. But Oh, geez, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the guy across yeah. the street, the guy just across the street bought this, his house six months ago for 490000 He's put like Three million dollars in the house, and it's it's still a a five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> you you own an old house, and an old house is like an old car, or even just a used car. No matter what project you get into, you don't know what you get into it, and then all of a sudden, there's bigger problems. I mean, like when I remodeled my kitchen, I tore out the cabinets, and then all of a sudden, I found black mold. I tore out the the drywall to get rid of the mold. And I found there's termite damage. I had to replace studs in a wall. And it's like, son of a gun, man. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to watch my language. I'm trying to clean my act up. Well, you, don't, you don't have to do that. Yeah. I'm uh, just trying to be respectable. Yeah, all right. Well, um, you know what? One of these days I'm going to have, uh, what, what was his name? Uh, it's a Jewish name. I can't remember the name. The name. Sh- uh, Shlomi. Shlomi is a robotics designer. I got to have him on and approach him about this idea about uh, a robot that, because I'm sure he'll tell me, yes, I can design a robot to, to work on classic cars, to fix old, fix up old cars. It's just a matter of how much you want to spend on the robot. But no, I, no, I think it, it can't can be, be done. done. It can't be done because just like uh, I, a friend of mine, she needed her rear brakes done. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. They were going to charge her, I don't know, $400 or something like that to replace her rear pads on a car. I'm like, hell no, let's not. Yeah, just the pads. I'm like, no, let's do rotors and all. Well, I got into the job and the bolt rounded off because uh, the, it was rusted up. So then the, I, we had to cut, I had to cut the bolt off, take the caliper off, and then drill out the bolt. And it was, it just turned into this massive mess. I mean, it, assembly, assembly, you can do that with robots, but on work, working on old cars, I mean, like the robot doesn't know. It, like, there's, yeah, that's that's why working on cars is so profitable. 
I think robots, though, like to Ian's point, if it's got a check, a check engine light on, a mechanic is already going to hook up a machine that tells them what to what to what to fix. So I think they can know. I mean, diagnostics and all that stuff. There are plenty of listen. They can di- created robots to diagnose what's wrong with the human body. They can, you know. I think I think you're underestimating the the state of robotics, but. I do agree that because I said this uh, with the arts uh, stuff, people have panicked about this idea of total replacement forever. But what we find, my my life experience has taught me that when we get fearful of technology, we think that it's going to replace us, but we soon learn to use it and adapt to it, and it becomes a tool that we use. But humans never end up really getting replaced, and that's been very true. Uh, my whole life, but and I think that probably will be the case. But this is the fear uh, that is driving part of this writer strike: is that they don't, you know, they're writers, they're not uh, technologists they're, or or engineers, and they look at AI and think, and they've never had to deal with this before. That some computer or some super brain robot is going to come along and and replace them, and that you know they're scared. I don't. I can understand it. I definitely have been through it. Well, uh, they're only scared because they're writing crappy shit. Like I watch. I've been watching some movies. Well, this I don't know. Crap. Yeah. Yeah, I I've been watching movies on Netflix, catching up on all that crap. There's so much so- content, though. There's so much content. Um, I, I don't know. I, I again, I don't watch any of it. I don't watch anything. But my brother said to me the other day, he said, I, I, none of these shows I watch have any writing in it at all. I said, that's an illusion, brother. <laughs> Every If you're watching somebody on that box, even if they're doing a sports game, you know, at some point they're reading copy that was written by somebody else. No, there is not a single broadcast, even this one, that doesn't have some copy that is written that somebody is reading and so if there's somebody reading it there had to be a writer to begin with uh, but we we kind of dismiss that we think like cable tv news shows those guys make it look like they're just giving their opinion but they're reading a teleprompter all, all yes. the time oh yeah you, you've seen that thing where it was like oh geez i can't remember what it was about but it was like all it's they just put out on like a wire and all the the news people from all oh, the local they're all saying, yeah, the, they're same, all saying yeah. the same thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's well is, that's because yeah they're reading ap feeds generally and you know that 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 associated press has done that for years it's easy you just take yep. the ap feed and, and you don't have to do any work uh but yeah that's all of that um what what are you doing you just farming these days or <laughs> what what do you do uh, well, I day drink a lot. I mean, I woke up this morning at six to get a little toasted before I got on the show, so I could. Uh, I'm I'm actually very silent and um, not very sociable when I'm sober. When uh-huh. people, are like, why do you drink? I'm like, well, do you want me to talk? Um, do you make? Are you doing your own beer? Are you, and and do you make your own? I would think it would be a cool thing to do out there. Well, me and my ex-wife used to uh, try to make our own beer, but it just takes so long, and I drink so much, it's just not worth it. Just <laughs> buy Maddie Light, yeah, you know. That's weird. 
Well, I am growing these peppers. I found these like rare peppers that sell for $16,000 a pound. It's wow. kind of like cav the caviar of peppers. And uh, yeah, I'm growing. I'm, I got some I'm growing out there and I'm, I'm trying to. $16,000 a pound? Yeah, it's some sort of rare pepper that is not con commercially viable to, to farm because they're pea sized and they're like, they taste like cayenne peppers or something like that. And like Frank's have red hot sauce or whatever. That seems yeah. uh, a, a little ex excessive. I mean, who's, uh, who can tell the difference? I mean, you got billionaires with a palate that. <laughs> hey, I, I, I found out these things sell for $16,000 a pound. So I'm like, I'm going to grow these because oh, it's, 16. It's, I thought you said 60. That, that no, does change. $16,000 a, a pound. Yeah, no, I know that's still very expensive, but it's not as expensive as 60. I thought you said 60. No, 16. 16 I got gotcha. you. Sweet 16. I get it. Uh, wow. Uh, no, yeah, but I was... like some, some Venezuelan pepper that is like, wow, this is uh, something legal that from Venezuela I could fucking grow and sell. <laughs> no, the, re the reason I, I, I thought maybe you would do your own beers because it seems like Indiana has got all the perfect ingredients for it. that's the farm country that uh, all the you know barley and hops and all whatever that go into good beer right no <laughs> oh, I have no clue I, I'm too lazy to do that I mean so what is your day like you tell your typical day Monday through through Friday or do you have a typical day I have uh, atypical days. I just uh, kind of wake up. I, th today was the first day I woke up uh, to an alarm since the last time I was on your show. That's wow. serious. Yeah, I don't have to wake up to an alarm clock or anything like that. I mean, no, I don't either. But I, w I do have a time I have to get up. I, that's different than not having a time to get up. I don't, uh, I, I've never needed an alarm clock. I just wake up. I just kind of, and this morning I woke up in terror, and I don't know why. I was having some kind of nightmare or something, I guess, but I woke up screaming. Um, but no, I, I never needed an alarm clock. But so what do you, what do, you do? And so you did, when do you start? I wake up, and then uh, maybe I'll eat breakfast. Maybe I'll just crack a beer and start drinking, and I'm, I'm catching up on all the old movies that I wasn't allowed to watch when I was a kid. Wow. They're so religiously repressed. Wow. Uh, any trouble with the neighbors lately? Uh, no, no. Like, I I have I have my house, and uh, I don't even live in it. I let people live in it for free. And, yeah, there was a big fallout uh, with people that live there. Like, uh, we were bookers together. And uh, the last comedy show we did together... I got a tattoo on my my ass. Uh, you, did I tell you about that? You see the pictures of it. No. Me and a, a, the MC of the show, we went and another comedian who's a tattoo artist. We we tattooed each other's names on each other's asses for the show, and then the 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 one partner and the the booking booking partner I had, she got so angry that we were going to show our ass tattoos and it's like a lower tramp stamp. You know what I mean? It wasn't like we we're going to pull down our pants and move the audience. We we're just going to show that we got the tattoos because we got drunk and high and did tattoos on each other. And it was, 
it was hilarious and it was but yeah she it was a big falling out and then i uh made a comment in the, the group chat for the comedy show bashing boomers and she's a boomer and she just went boomer on me yeah wow. and uh yeah so it was like i we did the the MC and me, we like went up there and we're like, yeah, he did. Cause I totally screwed up his tattoo. And he was, he just did a little heart with an arrow through it with TJ XOXO. That I was the MC. And uh, I, I totally was just like trying to hurt him. So I just like did this massive tattoo of, uh, and I misspelled love. I, I tattooed on his ass. David fubs me, fubs me. I, I screwed it up so bad, but it was just an ass tat, and it's not like we're nudist or anything where anybody's going to see it, but he loves it. But, yeah, it's a crazy thing, though. It's like the comedy. I, I helped uh, build up this comedy scene, or, well, it, yeah, I, they just left, they left me behind, too, and that kind of upsets me over a stupid tattoo because boomers. You are, you're not a boomer, are you? You're Gen no. X, aren't you? I'm a boomer. But here's the thing. Oh, I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow. You're a cool boomer. I feel like there's too... Broad, boomers is too broad. Because there's two separate divisions in boomers. There's the real boomers, the post-war boomers. The people who were born in 1945 to 1954 are very different from the people born 1955 to, to 1964. Very different uh, people, different mindset completely. My brother it was born in 1952. He's a boomer. He's an Archie Bunker, uh, you know, he, he was a hippie who turned into a, a very uh, right-wing conservative. Most of that era started out as hippies uh, protesting against the war, protesting uh, for John Lennon against Richard Nixon, all of those uh, those people <laughs> became Trump Republicans somehow. <laughs> and then there's my part of boomers, which is a second wave of boomerism, which is very different. We're, we're you know, we you, are the rock and like, roll. You're more like Gen X. You were like the, the segue into the Gen X. I don't know. I think and we're very what... different than Gen X, too, because I, I know a lot of Gen X people who... Um, they act like they fought the wars and we're very cognizant. My group of boomers who did not go to Vietnam, we were just a little too young to go to Nam. Uh, and, and, but we don't act like we did go to fucking Nam. I think most of the Gen Xers think they act like they, they fought World War II. The ones that I know anyway, they walk around with this bravado. Like we, yeah, we fought for freedom. What fucking war did you fight in? I mean, <laughs> I don't get I don't get that where they actually act like they you know they act like my grandfather from World War II vets or World War One vets. Um but there's that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. But but I I'm I'm considered I guess uh, born in eighty one. I I guess I'm the first year of millennials, but uh, I I'm more like Gen X, you know what I mean? I know rotary phones, that's what I grew up on. I knew what life was like before microwave ovens. <laughs> you know, it's a spot. I don't know that generational thing. Well, that kind of, yeah, I was thinking about that last night because tomorrow my guest is uh, Reed Messerschmidt. Reed is a, a friend of mine. He's uh, I consider him a friend. I know he's got like a a, a 
stick up his ass around about a boomerism. I think I'm probably his only boomer friend. Uh, but so I was thinking about that last night. And the, one of the dividing things between that first wave of boomers and my uh, my era of boomers, and it, it might seem insignificant, but to me, my group grew up with color television. <laughs> the group before me, the 10 years before me, they grew up with black and white, small TVs and radio a lot. And rock and roll really was invented in 1954 or, or be, started to become prevalent in 1955 on. I think there's a, a pretty sharp delineator there of, of, you know, the generations and what they're, what they grew up with. And it, I, I think we got to stop with these labels and just like, Exactly. Well, that's the thing is, is like I'm, I'm doing a pushback because being a millennial labeled as a millennial and then the boomers are all like, oh, yeah, you, you had your participation trophies. I'm like, no, it was the fucking boomer parents that gave us participation trophies. We didn't ask for them. Right. It's like, fuck you. Fuck you. Like I remember being I was picking my nose out in left field playing T-ball and like <laughs> at the end of the season. They would give me a trophy. I'm like, what, what's this for? I'm like, I, I didn't even want to play baseball. And they're like, here's a trophy. It's a really small trophy. I'm like, this is almost an insult. They, they weren't starting to do soccer it. as the main thing when you were a kid because I noticed that in, in, as my son was uh, coming, it, the t t focus was being taken away from baseball, which was traditionally what kids signed up for, T-ball and all that stuff. And then we still did that to an extent. But soccer became the prevalent thing, not when you were a kid. No, 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 no. When I was, like, even in high school, like, all the boys that played soccer, we all teased them for being gay. Uh, yeah. yeah, like, it was the, the baseball and the basketball and the football jocks. They all were like, oh, soccer isn't a real sport. And I was like, I, I quit baseball uh in season and a half i'm a quitter you know that as a it's there's a lot of people that will never give up never quit whatever no fucking quit like if you don't like something <laughs> fucking quit well I was working for I, a netflix tv show and i was like you know what fuck this i quit i quit i quit a union job i've quit so many high paying jobs it's like I, you know, i've quit a lot I, i've quit a lot in my life i can't it, I can't act like I'm not. I haven't been a quitter, and I called my brother a quitter the other day because he was telling me about things he was quitting, and he quit his job. Uh, <laughs> but he's sick. But but he's, he's, I think there is something to be <laughs> a quitter. I've never been afraid to just, and sometimes to my detriment, a little too bold, just to say fuck this. Take this. I walked away from a job I was making two hundred four thousand dollars a year with no, you know, no. I just walked away. I had no other job lined up. I just quit. I quit. I'm just having good on you. Good on you. You you probably weren't getting respected. If you didn't get the respect, it's like you just like yeah. I like the paycheck, but it's like I'm busting my ass for you. I'm making other people richer. And it's like if you can't just leave me alone. Don't don't mess with me. Don't fuck with me. Don't treat um, me like my crap. psychosis is co completely different. Than my psychosis or, or neurosis or whatever the hell I have, my typical MO is I get in thinking I'm just going to do the, I'm going to be the mailroom guy. I don't, I don't want any responsibility. I'm going to be the guy nobody really even knows works here or what do you want? I'm just going to be a shadow. And six months later, I'm running the fucking place. And, exactly. 
and and now I got all this responsibility on me, and I don't want responsibility. I just want to go back to working in the mailroom. <laughs> now, ever, ever, uh, how to succeed in business without really trying? That's that's that reference there for you. Oh, it's, it, one of the things I've been planning for uh, years now, four years now, over four years. I want to be the the blue collar hero. I want to go and get like one of those little cameras, little pen camera. And get like minimum wage jobs that I don't need. I don't need the money, but just go and then find like some middle management guy that's like giving people a hard time. See, Dave, see now you, you could if, if you if you would get dedicated to this idea, you could make me uh, you could make me the number one podcast in America by just getting clips like that. Just go get a job today at McDonald's. Work there for like three hours with the thing in your pocket. Uh, get some funny footage on there. Send it to me, and then quit at the end of the day, and then go. Oh, to- will you edit it? Will you edit it out? I'll send you all the video. Because I actually have another friend of mine that he told me what camera to get to do this. Oh yeah, and I I have like yeah. I have like spy cams and stuff, glasses that have cameras in them, and and uh, pens that have cameras in them. I have all, all that kind of stuff. Matt, yeah, I will totally get middle minimum wage jobs, <laughs> and then just to see the abuse that the the, the employees get from customers, and then uh, they're the middle management losers. They have oh, a yeah. master's degree and they're making eighteen dollars an hour, and it's like you fucking loser. You That's what people money. want. That's the kind of entertainment people want. Uh, for yeah, uh, I will totally. I'll buy the camera and I, I will do that. I'll be like, I was thinking about going, getting a job at an auto parts store. I mean, like last time I got a job at an auto parts store, it was right after I got out of the Marines. I was working there three months, and they're like, "Well, we don't really want to hire you, but you just." You, your resume is so impressive. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And I used to talk so much shit to that manager. But still, within three months, they wanted to make me a manager. Yeah. I'm like, no, I gave my two weeks notice. I'm like, I'm not staying here. I'm not staying here, no. I was like, yeah, the, the, the manager, he was like, you should come in on your day off. His name was Paul. He was like, you should come in on your day off and help uh, when, when we do stalking and all that. I'm like, Paul. If you give me fucking uh, fucking what, what what is it like like bonuses or whatever for whatever they do? I mean that, that was one of the things that used to piss me off. Yeah. Retail sucks so bad, and everybody knows it, but most people don't see it that that they go to retail. I mean, like that's one of the things that really upsets me too. Is when I go to a, a store, and then it takes too long for somebody to check out or whatever. And then the, this cashier is like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, no. I'm like, it hurts my heart that you feel like you need to preemptively apologize for something you didn't do to me. I'm like, I saw what happened. You had an asshole customer. I'm like, that that isn't, that isn't your fault. That guy was an asshole, you know? Like I, Yeah, it just I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to get get jobs just to fucking blast the managers and let I, them. I, I don't think yeah, I don't think I would survive as a cashier for any shift. Not a single oh. shift could I. I would lose my mind doing that job, but because I I would feel pressure to get people checked in and checked out, especially if there's a line. And then you get deal with assholes and all that stuff. Not a fun thing. Listen, oh. we're getting. Uh, I'm gonna have to uh, let you go soon. So I just want to ask you: Are you getting back to? Are you going back to comedy ever? Or are you gonna, or, or are you done? 
Well, uh, I'm trying to get uh, some comedians that uh, I've been working with for a few years. Mid Comedy in the Midwest is fucking pointless. Like, it's just practice. Trying to get some guys together and go to Chicago, maybe try to get in, like, Second City or something like that, because, like, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Columbus, Dayton, Louisville, Lexington, it's pointless to do comedy in these areas because nobody that matters I don't think here. anybody matters anyway. You just do it for oh, yourself. No, no, you got to go to you got to go to New York. You got to go to Chicago. Or you got to go to L.A. So I'm trying to get some guys together, and then we're gonna road trip up there, and then we'll we'll be like five of us guys sleeping in a one one bedroom hotel room in Chicago and sh- splitting the gas because I'm a Jew like that. I'm I'm cheap. All right. I'm so well, fucking cheap. Well, yeah. Um, well, well, when I wait, hey. To my defense, I am part Jewish. I am part Jewish. Aren't we all? I think I'm, so. I'm, no, no, I'm actually an atheist. I have an uh, atheist. Well, well, almost, listen, New York is filled with uh, people who are culturally Jewish, but atheists. And then, yeah, I, I always marvel at that because you can't be... You can't be Christian and call yourself an atheist, but you can be Jewish and call yourself an atheist. It's just, to me, it, there's a cultural thing besides the religious thing with Jewish Judaism. So that's a whole lot of. Well, so my, anyway, yeah, my family. I had family in the 1880s. Uh, Leah Pogrom in Germany. So they came over here. They changed their name. They hid that they were Jewish. It was a family secret for over a hundred years. My brother will argue with me, but I'm pretty certain my my maternal grandmother uh, was at least half Jewish. Her name was Zimmerman. She was German Jew, uh, I think, and came over in 18... Her family came over in the late 1890s. She was born in America in 1900. So, But I do think uh, there is... Because, you know, there was a lot of that going on with with Germany at the time, even way before the Hitler stuff. And so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's called pogroms. And that's that's why yeah. I thought about legally changing my last name to uh, do better in show business to the Jewish name. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you know, guess what? Guess what my family's Jewish name was? Bacharach. Uh, Bacharach. Uh, so we were like, oh, yeah, oh, there's Burt Bacharach. It was like, uh, okay, I'll be David Bacharach. <laughs> they, yeah, well, you know what? I would do that. I would definitely uh, – it couldn't hurt. People would think – and you don't have to answer any questions. Like, oh, it must be De- Bacharach's son. Okay, yeah. There you go. Not unusual to be loved. Well, like, thanks for setting your alarm and getting up early. I got to play some commercials and then get ready okay, for Okay, gotcha. Day. Thank you, Matt. You know I'm always here for you if you need a stand-in or whatever for a, a no-show. Thanks, man. I'll see you soon. Hey, no Love you, brother. I love you too. Bye for now. Bye. It's the wrong thing. I'm not ending the show. I'm playing Koa Coffee. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, 
They strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. You're listening to Coffee with a Dog on Live 365, Mind Dog Radio. Yeah. Mind Dog is your mind's best friend. I'm not really. I'm not really your mind's best friend. Well, it's good to hear from Dave. Oh, Dave's, Dave's a one-of-a-kind guy um i'm not sure i agree with him on the uh midwest seems to be a hotbed of comedy as far as now what do i know right but i've had so many ohio indiana um, ohio and indiana western pennsylvania comedians on that i and um you know, talk about Arizona before. How many how many people from Ohio, how many people from Indiana have we had on? They definitely rival Arizona as far as the uh, number of comedians I've had on the program. As we await Lori Sparks, uh, who is uh, an Arizona comedian, working comedian, uh, and, um, you know, we definitely have some Interesting things to talk to her about in how she got started in comedy. She's a RN. My wife is a, a LPN. Nurses, I know well. My, I've known since I've been married to my wife, and time before that, or <laughs> time before we got married, uh, met quite a few nurses. Um, understandably. They're an interesting group. Um, nursing is a hard job, and it's a high-pressure job, and it takes a certain kind of person to do that job. I mean, you have to have at least... I shouldn't say that, because I know some some people who thought it was a good-paying job, who got into it for the money. It's not a good-paying job. For the kind of literal shit you have to take... It's not a good paying job. It's a very hard job to do for the amount of money you get paid for. Nursing is not a good thing. But it makes for some really interesting personalities. And not surprising that some of them would find their way into comedy. Uh, My wife thinks she could be a stand-up comedian. I hope she... And I know she very, very rarely watches or listens to the program so i can say that ain't happening she's not going to be <laughs> she's not going to be a successful stand-up comedian anytime but her father thinks thought he could be too uh he he's uh actually got surgery today so i don't want to be too mean on him but he always thought he could be a stand-up comic he was not 
and her brother Ray uh, also. People think they can be stand-up comedy, and they can't. And no matter, first of all, I was thinking about this yesterday. There are people that are joke tellers, people that are natural joke tellers. You see them at a party, and they're telling jokes. And some of them are good good joke tellers, and some of them uh, think they're good joke tellers. But comedy clubs uh, stopped being about just joke tellers a long time ago. Unless you're like somebody like, I don't know, Hedberg or, or... I know that Stephen Wright is getting a lot of attention. He must be doing something. But the one-liner guys who come from that legacy, or Jackie, who tells jokes. But all those people all the do consideration and credit and respect and all that stuff. They're the old school. You don't see that. I've been, you know, it's not really joke telling anymore. It's not like the typical guy walks into a bar type of stuff that people do at parties. Just because you can tell a good joke doesn't make you a comedy uh, material. Uh, what what are you saying, Ian? Stephen Wright is better than is greater than Stephen Hawking. Uh, I don't think I would deny that in any way. I mean, I'd rather listen. To, I'd rather listen to. I'd rather listen to Stephen Wright talk about the speed of light than Stephen Hawking any day. Um, Stephen Wright has been on Conan. He's been on a couple of. Uh, I think he was on Rogan this week. Uh, so he must have something coming up. Must, must, there has to be a reason for all this, right? Maybe it was on with Dana Carvey, too. Uh, Dana Carvey and David Spade or whatever that was, Fly on the Wall podcast. Uh, ah, both. Yeah, but the, both are monotone, though. But you use the greater than, not an equal sign. <laughs> uh, for you, I'm sorry. I'm talking to people in the chat room without letting people on the radio who don't have access to the chat room even know what we're talking about. Ian had said uh, Stephen Wright was greater than Stephen Hawking, uh, then made a comment that they're both equal. I'm going to read one more thing before uh, we get to my next guest. Uh, Stephen Wright has a new novel uh, he is promoting. Well, that's why he's on all these shows. Now, why didn't I know? Nobody clues me into this, that Stephen Wright is coming out with a new novel, so I could have started approaching his publicist. Not that it's too late, but I should have got him before he got on all these big shows. Now, you know, what? what's in it for him? What's in it for him? I'm going to take a very quick break uh, and be back with Laurie Sparks, a comedian from uh, Arizona, uh, and we'll be back in just one moment. You know, you want to learn to play guitar, True Fire is the best way uh, possible. You can learn from all your greatest heroes, truefire.com. Check it out. Over 2 million guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with True Fire. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. 
True Fire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. TrueFire's style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations and track your progress as you work through your personalized TrueFire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one -on -one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, yeah. student forums, TrueFire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. This is Jake Jolly, director of Clay Zombies, and you are listening to the best in radio, the big dog of the airwaves, Mind Dog Radio. Yeah, Mind Dog Radio. They cut off Jake. I don't like when they cut off Jake. Uh, Jake will be uh, contributing to the program, doing some um, stuff about filmmaking. And, um, you know, he, it will be a valuable resource to people looking, uh, you know, trying to do specials and, and TikTok videos and all that kind of stuff. Jake's the man. Jake, it's, uh, if, check out his film, uh, Clay Zombies. Uh, it's all, Just Google it. You'll find it everywhere. Anyway. Uh, you know, I got people giving me all sorts of recommendations about advertising and how I got take better advantage of the online platforms, ad placement stuff. People don't understand the nature of the business here. YouTube ads, Facebook ads, all that kind of stuff, they pay pennies. Penny, like fractions of pennies. Whereas when I sell my own advertising, I'm in control of my own destiny. And it's, this is an important message for people out there who want are trying to do things like this, monetization. Um, it's really important to, to realize that the people who will do it for you, um, and you don't have to do anything but let them put advertising, they, they're going to rip you off. If you're really, really serious about making any money in this business, you have to own your own product and sell your own advertising uh, or hire some a salesperson to work for you, but it's still going to be a much better, much fairer to you, the content creator uh, deal than to have to worry about the ads that YouTube puts on your videos or Facebook or whatever, Instagram, and pays you 0.006 per stream you're, you're cheating yourself. You're leaving a lot of money on the table. Anyway, my guest today, as I mentioned, is a comedian from Arizona. Yes, and I, I do believe that Arizona has the most comedians per capita right now than any other state. They obviously have 
a lot going on as far as opportunity, or there wouldn't be so many uh, comedians actually uh, working in Arizona right now. She has, she's uh, an RN. I don't know uh, if that means former RN or, you know, still, still working as an RN, but has that in her background. And as I mentioned, my wife is an LPN uh, and thinks she can do stand-up comedy. My wife can't do stand-up comedy. Uh, but I can understand where the experience of being an RN, from knowing so many nurses, um, where the experience can lead to doing some very effective and funny comedy. Uh, Lori Sparks brings strikingly hilarious wit to, to musings about life when not on stage, <clears throat> when not on stage, uh, <laughs> I can't even say it. When not on stage, you can find her kissing goats. Yes, goats. She's here now. Uh, <laughs> Laurie, uh, what's with the goats? Can we <laughs> well, I've actually kissed a goat and I liked it. <laughs> nah, I don't believe that. Uh, okay, why though? <laughs> well, I have a picture. I was at an ostrich ranch and you were allowed to kiss the goat. So if you have an opportunity like that, you shouldn't waste it. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so uh, are, are you still an RN? Yes, I am. Okay. Now, nurses are uh, crazy people, right? They, they, people, I, now, I know they're angels, and, but they're also pretty, pretty crazy puns, yes? I would agree. Most of us have a pretty wicked sense of humor. Right. Uh, so how long, how long have you been doing that? Um, since 1987. 1987. And uh, in a hospital or in a private uh, doctor's office, what, what, what kind of places do you work? I have done hospital. I've done neonatal, neonatal intensive care unit. I've done hospice. I've done home care. And that many years, you get a lot of experiences. Right. And now I do consulting. So well, you had to, being a funny person and being in that uh atmosphere you have to be tempted to kind of want to tell jokes to every patient you talk to yes or no well it depends on the situation well yeah no that's what i was going to say it has to be because my wife thinks she's a cut up now she uh, she's not listening to this so i can say she's never going to make it in stand-up comedy but she thinks she is and i know she tries to be funny a lot she always talks about how people think she's so funny but I do think laughter ha has a very healing effect and whether it's the greatest medicine or not, but I do think there's a temp uh, temptation to want to inject that stuff, but there are times when it's inappropriate or, and it, 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 it's walking a fine line and keeping judgment about when, when you can do that. Right. Exactly. And in all of my jokes that are my healthcare jokes, I never make fun of patients or individual people. Right. Uh, and where, are you in the Phoenix area? I am, yes. Okay. Now, thriving area, right, for comedy, a lot of opportunity out there? Yes, I didn't realize there was so much opportunity until I started getting into it. Uh, how did you first start getting into it? Well, I've always, I don't, so I don't watch a lot of, um, I don't have a TV, so I don't watch a lot of, you Me know. Too. Great. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, you know, watch a lot of comedy, even on YouTube, I'll watch, you know, people are always recommending comics to me now, so I might watch some of it or I might not. But I do have comics that I enjoy. But I really like live comedy. 
so I, for years, I've been going to live comedy, you know, with my girlfriends and things. And one evening I was watching it and I thought, I think I could do that. I think I would like to do that. So I checked into it and um, there was a class starting right away. So I started the class and then I just took off from there. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, what are they teaching these classes? I know, I know people who give those classes. I'm affiliated with, with comedy clubs that uh, offer those kind of classes. I, I've interviewed people who teach those classes. I can't imagine how, how you set up a curriculum for a comedy class. I know there's even college level, like UCLA has a, a, a curriculum in, in stand-up comedy now. What, what do they teach you? What, what, is, what is that like, the, the class experience? It was a great class. It was very organized. There was a, you know, a syllabus, if you will, of what we were doing every week. I think it gets you really um, comfortable with the mic and being on stage. You know, we had stage time every class. The um, writing was really helpful. I've been writing for years, so I had a lot of material that I could, you know, work on. But having other, the instructor as well as the other comics help you with maybe saying, oh, why don't you change this word to this other word? And, you know, it goes from being very funny to hilarious then. Wow. Uh, the thing that I know I, I, I screw this up all the time. The thing that is toughest for me is timing and, and pacing and understanding all that stuff. Uh, are you a natural at that? Is that something you have to work at? It's it's I don't know why, but it's come pretty easily to me. What had what occurred from the beginning is I got laughs where I didn't expect laughs and the instructor would call that a laugh on the way to the laugh. So I've learned to pause for those and then, you know, do my what I thought was my punchline. I'm noticing though as I do more performances that sometimes I don't need the additional punchline because sometimes I don't get as many laughs with that as I got with the middle of the joke, if you will. And right. I think that's because of the shock effect The people are shocked in the middle, but by the end, they kind of know what I'm doing. So it's not as, I don't get as much of a response. Interesting. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. But I, uh, when you're saying that, I'm wondering, are these thoughts going through your mind while you're on stage performing, or is this an after the gig kind of analysis? Like you get home and you think about your performance and think about those things, or does is that in the moment? Do you are you having those thoughts on stage? That's a good question. Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm responding to the audience. You know how? So what I do because I've I've been an organized person all my life. I. I'm going about this in a very organized way. So what I do is um, I'm finding that, I'll answer your question in a minute, I'm kind of rearing away from that right now, but I find that when I have a gig scheduled, I get very creative with even writing new material. So I've, uh, there have only been, my first and second shows were the only shows that I used the same routine for. And I felt like with the second show that, producer was hiring me based on what he saw me do and he probably wanted me to repeat that right. so but since then every other show i have done um new material like my third show it was an open mic and i was talking to the other comedians before it started and they were more experienced than i was and i said well i am a little nervous because all of my routine is brand new and they said well we would never do that we would throw in some of our guaranteed laughs 
And I said, well, it's too late for that now. But that routine was as well received as my first routine that I did twice. What I do is I, I record it, then I listen to it after, and then I have like a star system that I rate the jokes and what kind of response and where I got the biggest laugh. Right. But I do adjust on stage as well. And I also took an improv class. I didn't really know what improv was when I saw that class advertised, but I thought, well, I'll find out. It'll be a lot of fun. And it was. So I found that doing the improv also has helped me with the stand-up. I, I could definitely see that. Improv scares the hell out of me. I, I only did it once online uh, about six months ago, eight months ago, something like this. And it was one of the worst experiences I ever had. I just felt like such a total idiot. I never want to do it again. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, like everything, if, you, if you're decent at it, you're more inclined to, to want to keep trying it. But um, not for me. <laughs> anyway, um, so it, this is kind of an interesting thing here. So you're... Um, basically just in the Phoenix area or are you kind of uh, branching out from the Phoenix area and looking to expand that? What, what is your, um, what is your landscape of opportunity look like? Uh, well, I think it, I think it will go far in distance <laughs> as well yeah. as experience. Um, what, what's been interesting. I only started the Facebook page maybe two weeks ago and I have not started promoting myself yet. I'm going to start that this month. But every time I have done a show, I have gotten one or two gigs from it. So that's how I've been continuing right now. And Interesting. Then, yeah, I was talking to So it's other, is it other comedians who are hosting their own nights who see you and say you would, you would be good? Is that the kind of work you're talking about when you... Yeah. yeah. Yes. Very cool. So this is interesting because... I find in where I am, whether this lack of real support, there is phony support. There's uh, comedians who, if they can use you for something, they get close to you and say, "Yeah, I'll put you on a show." But it's very competitive and very backbiting and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, but it seems to me that. The more I talk to comedians working in the Phoenix area and Bisbee and all, all those areas out in, in Arizona, um, there's more support out there. Or, or is that just a, my illusion from the distance? <laughs> um, well, I felt supported and I give support to other people, too. I think maybe I'm a little bit of a non-threat to some of the younger comedians because obviously I'm not a younger comedian. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people getting into it. Um, at a uh, later age and I, you know what you only live once and if it's something that makes you happy do it right um talking about promotion and this is if you haven't done and obviously you haven't done a lot of that because it's uh, you, i think i emailed you yesterday or, or text messaged you yesterday uh to send me some bio stuff because i got doing your internet search on you was very difficult the name that you have in the window there, Lori S. Strikingly Hilarious. Is that how people bring you up on stage? Is... Yes, I just started that with the Facebook page. It's because I was trying to keep a little bit of privacy about my personal life, but I don't know if that's really... You can't do that in show business. It's really impossible. I know people... That's 
I know so many people who thought that way, but it's, you, you can't. I mean, people are going to find out who you are. Uh, and that, but but it's kind of a long way to get. <laughs> well, here, so one of my Bunko girlfriends, she thought it was Lori S. stinkingly delicious. <laughs> and I said, that's cheesy. <laughs> I think I said uh, strikingly hysterical. Yes, uh, I think you did, but that's yeah. Okay. It's hard to remember. I mean, it's too many for an old guy like me. It's it's just too many words. Uh, but no, I it just branding is is uh, so. Now, as that part of uh, this is the part that is not fun. Every you you have an idea. You know, I want to be in stand up comedy, but you, they don't really tell you how much the crap you're about to get into is just a drag on life. It makes you, makes you re sometimes regret ever going down that path. Have you started doing any promotional work at all or trying to put together like all the kind of promotional materials you need one sheets and, you know, eight by 10. Um, this might sound naive. I have a business card. I have some contacts. So this is, so this is, this is my business plan. I would like to do comedy in memory care centers. In where? Memory care centers. <laughs> no, that's very good. This uh, is my business plan. I would like to do comedy in memory care centers. I I do a little bit of that, Billy. To be honest with you, um, and it's great because you can do the same same material over and over and over again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I play facilities, and I, I have one. Somebody just uh, sent me one this morning. Um, basically, it's a w walk around in a you know adult uh, assisted living type of thing. But basically, you go from room to room, so you could do the same three minutes or two minutes in every room you're in. So <laughs> it's like, you don't need a lot of material, and you could have a very lucrative career doing that. And I have to say, you know, people would think, well, it can't be as rewarding as, as uh, you know, getting the applause from a big room that in some ways it's a different rewarding, but in some ways it can be more rewarding. It's, it's a, a different kind of fulfillment when you know uh, people don't have much other life than that. And you come to their place and brighten up their day. It, it is very rewarding. So uh, I think it would be. Yeah. So uh, now you said uh, you had been writing for before you got started. Uh, how much material do you have, and and what is what is your writing process like? Um, I probably have about seven hours of material, but not all of it has been tried out on audience. But then, like I said earlier, then I get another gig, and I get all of these ideas. I. I try to picture the demographic of my audience, you know, try to kind of guess and maybe tailor it or not, just depending. You know, I do, I will um, change my routine a little bit on stage, you know, if I get out there and I'm like, oh, this was a little different than I was expecting, right. if that makes any sense. So my writing style, so I love I think it might be an older style of comedy. I love to set up and punch, set up and punch, set up and punch. Not uh, all of my jokes are written that way, but I like that format. I also like things in threes. Oh, yeah. 
Now, being a nurse, because you bring up when you say something like that, uh, numbers and threes, I tend to think, well, a lot of nurses are into um, what I call the cuckoo uh, world of numerology and, and tarot card flipping and Reiki healing and all, all that kind of stuff. When you say threes, I'm thinking numerology. Are you into any of that kind of uh, new age uh, healing stuff? Uh, the Reiki. Yes, I think that there is a definite place for the more Eastern type of healing, but it's not really practiced much in our East, in our Western medicine. I think more and more it has been. I mean, I was in a, a school of healing, hands-on healing, auric healing in the 90s, and uh, it was a full-time four-year school, and 1,200 students attended every year. Uh, it's, uh, and that was in the 90s. So I think, you know, there's more and more of that. And when I say cuckoo, I don't mean necessarily any disrespect. It's I think some of the get borders on silly. And, and it, I, my idea is if you open up your mind with that, or an open mind is a good thing. But if you don't have some kind of you know, filter on it to protect garbage coming in, you'll just... Just a too open mind can be just dangerous to crazy craziness and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. But yes, I think you're right, though. I mean, for for terms of uh, show business impact and, and entertainment impact, things do come in threes, and it is a convenient uh, way to package <laughs> stuff. Uh, do you actually sit down and write the longhand? What what is that like? If you you sit down and write down jokes out on longhand? I do eventually. A lot of it comes to me when I'm with girlfriends and we're talking and so I what I do is I just have notes on my phone and then I'll, I'll just put one or two words that'll help me that is enough that reminds me when I go to write. What well, I do, do you work I, so far uh, it would uh, I would assume that you're working extremely clean, yes? Yes, I am going to be in an all-female comedian show in July, and it's I don't think it's clean, so I'm going to be risque, but my risque is really not real risque, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have some of that, but I've been, when I've, I've done family shows, the clean shows, and I feel like an important part of this is making your audience feel safe, and so when I go out there, I want them to feel safe because I you know that i'm not going to say something in front of their children or say or make fun of somebody in the audience then i feel like if they feel safe with me then they're going to relax more and be able to enjoy it more no i appreciate that and listen i think i think sometimes we we disrespect the um the art of, of clean comedy uh, because I don't know whether we, we've been uh, conditioned to think it has to be naughty to be funny. It has to be. But I don't think it does. And I think there are a lot of good examples, great examples of great comedians who work clean. But what you said just interested me there is, uh, do you feel pressure to be more risque because you, uh, it's other people on the on the bill are not necessarily clean. Do you feel like you have to be a little more edgy or or uh, racy than you would normally be? No, no, definitely not. So when we did that improv show, it wasn't a clean show, but it just so worked out that I was always 
coming behind somebody when they were risque and then I could kind of bring it back around you know my 10 year old grandson was in the audience too so you know I didn't want it to be too risque but it was interesting but it was but it was in a way that wasn't like this is bad or it just made it funnier right you know, no, kind of I, I, I would think now. being the lone or if I don't know if you were the only one, but the, the yeah. cleanest person on the bill, <laughs> material-wise, uh, would would be somehow an advantage in that. I would want that. That you know, it seems like a very um, a, a good place to be because you may you stand out. You're different. No, in a in a the arts definitely pays to differentiate yourself from the crowd and if the crowd is all being dirty i would want to be the one who's not so dirty and and have that be the takeaway from people is that's the one they're going to remember (laughs) i think i don't know am i just talking or am i making sense (laughs) um so how long have you been doing this now actually from the first time you got up on stage so I started the class in August of 22, and my first show is in September. Very cool. Showcase, and then I got a, a show out of that, and then it's just kind of been snowballing because I've been working, you know, in in nursing as well. So right now, um, changes from friends and family in in the way they they treat you. Look at the any kind of change toward in attitude towards you as. <laughs> grandma mom uh whatever uh no um the reaction i get is people can't believe that i'm doing it because i'm i'm you know i'm not the life of the party person you know i talk around my friends but in a new situation i'm quiet and so but they know that i'm funny because i'm you know i've been funny all my life so i get the reaction they're like people think that i'm making a joke when i say that i'm doing stand-up comedy now right right. well i find that most of the comedians i know are not the life of the party they have an introverted side especially in social situations which is kind of it it kind of is what fuels the the want to be funny on stage thing is that you know you're always repressing yourself being socially conscious and introverted in social situations but you are a funny person and that's your outlet for it is to the whole room at once so you don't have to you know feel that direct i don't know what what the hell i'm saying but this is this is my theory about yeah. yeah So about the the mindset uh, of a comedian, but to me, and I don't know if they, because to me you're an inspiration, and I'm going to share a story with you. I've told many times, and I'm going to try to say it quickly, and it may not have that much of an impact to you because I've said it so much, my audience is tired of hearing. It. But when I was about uh, 2015, 2014. I was going to buy an amplifier from a guy on Craigslist, a music amplifier. And he um, had me meet him in a mall parking lot. I thought that was odd since it's a device that has to be plugged in. And he was obviously a little nervous about things. I got there before him. And when he pulled up, I saw right away that this guy had a lot of money. I mean, he pulled up in a very expensive vehicle. He was dressed really fancy. He had jewels. He had his wife with him. She was covered in diamonds and pearls. They both smelled pretty. Smells like money. And we got to talking, and he said, well, what do you do? I said, I play in a rock band. And he said, oh, you're living the dream. 
and I laughed in his face, not as to be rude, but just a natural relaxing. Like, <laughs> I'm not a rock star. I'm not rich and famous. I play in a band. I work very hard. Yes, I've given, I've it's provided me with a living, but it's not, uh, it's not what you think. It's, it's stop. He said, I've made tons of money in my life. I've had a very successful career. You're living my dream. He said, I'm selling you my amplifier, signifying I'm not going to be in a band. This is, you are living the dream I always had. He said, I, if I could, I would trade places with you. And that was like a whoa, a perspective change on things. So to me, somebody later in life going after what they want to do, it should be an inspiration. And I, that's why I asked any change in attitude around you. Because I would, if I were your family, I'd be looking like in awe of way to go. That is a really inspirational and a, um, a positive role model to set for for people. Like not, it's not being irresponsible. It's going after what makes you happy. And I think good for you. That's all I want to say. About oh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, yeah, my kids are very supportive and they give me ideas and they'll say, you know, did you change the word? And I'll be like, yeah, that was a big hit, you know, so. Really? Now, that That's my biggest problem with getting into things very late. Like, my whole life I was a musician. When I wanted to take singing seriously and, and practice singing, I'm still intimidated by being in the house and hearing people, have people room away hearing me run scales and stuff like that. Practicing in the house, aspect comedy. Do you practice in front of a mirror? you practice for the family? <laughs> How do you do that? Yeah, I practice in front of a mirror by myself. When I was in the class, the instructor said something like doing it you know, 10 times a day the week before the performance. But I find that I don't, there's a, there's a point where you practice too much. And so I maybe, like I did a show Saturday night, I think I ran through it twice. Oh. I thought I would do it a third time and then I never did. I, I love spontaneity. I definitely, and part of the magic of stand-up comedy is believing that this isn't rehearsed it, it feels like it, it it feels natural like you feel like you're hearing a, a thought that is uh, the comedian is having in real time yeah. and that that that's the art if you can manage to uh, to have it down to the point where you can do it without having to think about it and make it feel natural uh you don't want to go beyond that and over rehearse uh, stuff we have to say goodbye to Gov's radio network right now, Gov's podcast network, uh, but we are remain live on Mind Dog TV and YouTube and uh, Facebook and everywhere else you'll find us. Bye, Gov's. We'll see you tomorrow. Um, so you are pretty busy, though. So um, at least from what I what I saw, I think you had like five or six dates lined up this month, right? Uh, I, I, did you? Uh, are no, you staying I no, I just had two shows in the last two weeks, and then my next show is in July. But for, but I'm going to. Um, I have three contacts with assisted living directors, so I'm going to set some of those up for June. But of course, those won't be things that you know the public can attend. Yeah, yeah, but those are those are you know what. I count those as gigs. I do. I do those, uh, and I know some of my musician friends because I, I count my gigs in a week, and I'll say I had uh, six gigs this week. Well, two of them, only two of them were playing with the band in a club, but yeah, I I count them as gigs. They're still 
people paying for you to to to, to work on your craft and 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 pay, I think it's really important. Is this um because we I talk about this a lot and I feel like it's really an important thing. The idea of being compensated fairly and, and how long it takes in comedy. Uh, is this something that uh, you you agree with this idea that it's not about the money, but the money is important to know that people value what you're doing, right? Definitely. Uh, you had somebody, and I don't remember their name, but they were on the show last week, and it was after I'd had an experience. And that interview helped me with this subject. Uh, it was a man that had done a show in like a library or some kind of historical building, yeah. and he got paid 20 or $30. And you were talking about the fact that someone paid you money for something that came out of your brain. Right. And so I did a show and I don't want to mention because the people are very sweet. And they're, it's a group I'm a part of, but it was, it was a fundraiser and, and it was a taco dinner. And so I wrote it in because I knew the group, especially I wrote an entire show for this, you know, routine. I wrote an entire routine for this show made it personal, you know, to that group. So that probably took me four hours, you know, and then I'm practicing it. It's another hour, half hour or something. Well, the expectation was that I would buy a ticket to attend. And it wasn't about buying the ticket. It was the feeling that all that I had done was not valued right in the same way and i'm not saying that the people were wrong they just don't know it's not an organization that has comedians you know typically i'm not blaming anybody and i would never want to hurt anybody's feelings about it but my feeling was like oh my goodness all of this was not worth a taco so <laughs> <laughs> very demoralizing it's so and i think you're you're probably right about it being more ignorance and ignorance not in an insulting way they're just not aware of how much you put into it how much of your life went into creating something special for them and it's not meanness or 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 you know just to dismissiveness of your talent but it's just not realizing uh, all you've done and they just think well a lot of people assume this too that it's so easy you could you could, for you, you you know writing comedy you probably just do it in your sleep anyway and there wasn't a lot of work it's all of that if you make it look too easy you're being your worst enemy sometimes in terms of this is true yeah this is true i'd even you know sold tickets in the community for people that weren't part of that group you know right because it was an opportunity that people i hadn't been able to come right. to you know, prior shows so yes. um for the nursing home stuff for the assisted living st stuff the, the all that kind of stuff what what is required here is a one sheet uh are you familiar with with what yeah. that is basically a one sheet is your headshot a very short bio and then some accomplishments uh whether you know um been on the Mind Dog TV podcast, been interviewed on anything that you can think of that you can might list as an accomplishment in show business, and, and, and then basically uh, contact information. That's what a one sheet is, and that's how you get that business. And I'm going to be offering. Are you in Road uh, Road Comics of America? Did you uh, join that group? It's on Facebook. No, no, but I will. Uh, look for RCOA. 
RCOA, uh, it's a, a group on Facebook. John Lockin, uh, who, who has been a guest here, runs that. And uh, there's a lot of good, besides opportunities there, there's a lot of communities there for people to share stuff. And I'm going to be sharing stuff about, you know, templates for marketing stuff, like one sheets and those kind of things that will help people get uh, books. And so that will be, I mean, I'm going to put something like that together. But a one sheet is pretty simple. And that's Wonderful. what they, yeah. So you send those out. And uh, basically, those that's a great way to, Keep your, that's a great way to practice because you're practicing now for somebody. You know, there's very little judgment there. It's a great audience. So you're not necessarily judging off of how they respond to jokes, but it gets you a chance to do the material over and over again. To, and, and it becomes fresh because each new person in there. And, uh, it, you know, it supplements you a little bit and you feel good about what you're doing. And then you get to big rooms and, and that's. Uh, um, so we wish you a lot of success. Do you have um, anything coming up that you want to let people know about? Sure. I'll, um, I'll send it to you and I'll put it because I don't know all the details, but I'm in that all female show in July, which I'm really looking forward to. Okay. Uh, is, uh, when you have all the details, send them to me. I'll put it in the description. Wow. We'll let people know about it. We do have quite a few people out in Arizona for some reason. Uh, and um, at all levels too. I mean, I'm seeing, uh, people who uh, work the Phoenix area who've been there um, for a long time and don't feel like they ever have to branch out from Phoenix and all that kind of stuff. T Tucson has a pretty active. I know that's hours away from you. Well, I did the show. I did a show this weekend in Tucson. Oh yeah. Uh, do you uh, get uh, Tucson radio where you are? Or is that too far? I don't know. I've never tried. Oh. Uh, you know, Christine uh, Christine Levine, who has been on the program, is she's the on the morning show, the Frank Show in Tucson, Arizona. They they're very supportive of uh, comedians, and she's a comedian too, and does some good. Shows. She's a good person to get to know for uh, opportunities because she's just um, just gotten over. I don't know how you say that she's uh, beaten cancer, and she's getting oh, back. Peter. She's getting back into performing now, so she would be a good person to kind okay. of. I'm writing all of this down. I appreciate it. You, you can tell all the mind dogs, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been a pleasure to get to know you, and we, we wish you success. Yeah. Listen, you're welcome to come back anytime. If you have important shows to promote as you uh, continue on your journey, uh, please do stop by, and we'll we'll help get the word out for you. All right. Thank you so much for the invite. It's been okay. it's been great. Have a great day. Bye for now. Thank you too. Bye. Bye. Lori S. Strikingly hilarious. Uh, that's going to take some getting used to uh, saying, but we do wish her good luck. If you're in the Phoenix area or anywhere in Arizona, uh, check her out and, and support her. Right now, we only have her Facebook page, but uh, to put in the um, description, the link for that. But follow her. And as we get more information about events and stuff, um, I got, I really have to express my admiration for somebody brave enough to and brave and you know she's not going and and you know diffusing them she's not working the bomb squad brave <laughs> but brave enough to say this you know what this will make me happy this at the point i don't care 
if there's any judgment, because there is a lot of fear about judgment. And when we go to do things for us, things that make us happy, and we get to the point in life where, you know, this is me. I'm going to do this for me. Um, you got to admire somebody who does that without fear of judgment and all that stuff. And it's a great lesson to learn. It's it's something that I, I wish more people would take the leap Not, and do it in a responsible way. The problem is some people take that leap. I just quit my job and I'm going on the road. And I'm gonna make it big in show business, <laughs> and pretty soon they'll make it big in homeless business. <laughs> uh, so there, you know, you can't be totally irresponsible, but but following your dream, doing the things you want to do with your life, I think it's a it's an important thing to do. And I take my hat off to anybody who does it. That's the show for today. Tomorrow, Reed Messerschmidt will be uh, my guest, host of the. Uh, a rationally exuberant podcast, which if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, you should get familiar with it. It is contemporary pop culture historical fiction. It's the best way I, I can describe it. We'll let Reed describe it tomorrow. Should be a, a Reed's a brilliant young man out of North Dakota, uh, writer and performer uh, of. of a fictional podcast. You don't see a lot of fictional podcasts out there. Uh, and you know what? Uh, be an interesting talk tomorrow. And then tomorrow night, Aaron Shelley, author of a book about the family business. This That might be a little contentious uh, because, I don't know, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I believe in things like love. And, and the, part of what he's talking about is auditioning a spouse or job interviewing a spouse. Eh, I'm a traditionalist. Married for love, not for filling a position. I'm I'm interviewing uh, wife applicants. <laughs> Contact HR. Send your resume. That feels a little cold for me. Anyway, that's tomorrow night. That could be a, uh, an interesting program because I definitely have some some issues with that state of mind of you know running your your family like a business. Anyway, that's the show for today. Thanks for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks to Dave. Thanks for Laurie for being here. Uh, don't forget to turn on your radio. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 